0: focused on how to protect his family. I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show, out. Boom, what's going on, you guys? Byron Rogers here with another amazing episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. I'll probably air this on the Protector Podcast because there's gonna be so much good information about a topic that I believe is so undervalued, um, about, about things that I think that we don't focus on enough. I've got an honored, expert here with me today mr steve somerville of stay safe instructional programs how are you today sir doing great sir how are you doing i'm doing fantastic it's an honor to to be able to have this conversation with you
1: you uh, know thank you the honor is shared by me um followed you uh, know about your background the virtues that you display and uh, absolute pleasure to be here with you today thank you no thank you thank you it's an honor and i i um
0: steve's one of those people uh, that you listen to, or at least that I listen to, and you realize he's one of those guys you want on your team and you realize he's really smart. He's smart. He's smarter than me you know, when it comes to these things. So I don't know about that, but thank you. For you your know, I for just I good. listen when you speak. One of the slogans that I saw of your brand, Stay Safe Instructional Programs, that I really liked was um, that one may work in peace right. and I think it's so powerful. And I'll ask you to define it, you know, for you in a moment here. But for me, as a business owner in executive protection, as a guy that has extensions of my like business and brand DNA out there, that at any given moment, on any given day, could be confronted with decisions that could greatly change the trajectory of my life and my business and my clients' lives. That that one may work in peace slogan is huge uh, as we aim to mitigate mitigate risks for ourselves and our clients and our employees.
1: Um, but what does that mean to you? You know, why did you choose those words? Thank you. A uh, great question. Never been asked that before either. You know, it's interesting when you look at this concept of peace, uh, peace of mind, uh, an ability to perform your skills to work to be able to provide. Employment for others, depending whether you're an employee, with a business owner or client, to have be assured and to be able to be comfortable with the paradigm that you work within, and work within a curriculum, and work within a space that will be mitigate and you know, prevent litigation, negative commentary, criticism, skepticism, and criminal charges, liability charges. So peace, peace of mind is basically that you're doing the right thing. Uh, I have a triage of considerations. Whenever I look at a program or ever provide training, it's got to be legal, got to be ethical, got to be moral. And if you're able to meet that triage of considerations, generally speaking, you are going to be seamless with your approach of your practices and the means of the way you plot your trade. And if there is anything that you could be criticized or held accountable to with respect to breaching ethics or morals or legalities, that, sir, is where we start to unfurl a huge amount of problems and challenges that might take us to extremes that we've never considered. Yeah. And that's where the the living the dream becomes living the nightmare. Real oh, quick. my gosh. <laughs> You've gone from a pleasant environment to a horror film. Right. And you're the scope of that horror film. And now you are facing scrutiny and we've seen it through North America wide. Leave and an whatever you believe in, I pray that you don't have to go there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Life can turn in a blink. Hmm. And we suddenly then start to look at the sources. And we just were saying before um, we had a brief chat, love the chat we had before we went live here. And we were at a charitable golf tournament yesterday for uh, the Healthcare Federation and got a call, got a phone call from uh, a litigation, excuse me, a criminal lawyer who is defending security. In an incident we had happened here in Toronto last year where two security guards were charged criminally with causing death with a patient, a mental health patient. And this went viral, this is major, major news item issues. And the challenging moments here is, you had um, two licensed security guards, professional security guards, attempting to restrain a patient, hold them down. And the person succumbed during that time. So after about three weeks of intervention, or excuse me, investigation, they were charged by the Toronto Police Service, criminally charged. Then they were dismissed, they were fired by their employer. And now they've determined they're left to their own devices. And you must acquire own criminal counsel. And you know, north and south of the border, if you start to look at the cost, the cost factor associated to that, it could wipe out life earnings and certainly going to wipe out things that you're looking to earn over the next decade. And during that period of time, you are now vulnerable and you're exposed to curriculum, to training, and to what's reasonable, what's not. And if you ever stopped and thought that your actions might begin to be criminal in nature, and that changes the entire mix in terms as to expectations, reasonable expectations, what did you do? What did you do? And just the thought of a, a period of you know incarceration, right. I don't think it's acceptable for anyone in our business, especially right. if you think you've done something wrong. right? And how does that hit, hit the business model? when one of your you know, your your agents and one of your guards and one of your people are criminally charged that could put you right out of the of the industry because a lot of people don't wish to marry themselves up with issues especially there's allegations of racism or insensitivity cultural clashes and um, criminal intent, mens rea, Latin for you know, criminal intent. So those are things we need to avoid. So the opposing to that, opposition to that, is we need to create a curriculum and a mindset, that warrior mindset. I call it like a bulletproof mind, where we need to be righteous in the sense of doing the right thing, but not for the wrong reason. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And that, that's, that's beautiful. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to exist, our companies to exist, our employees to exist. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, ladies and gentlemen, just to give you guys some awareness on our, you know, our trajectory here. Uh, Steve Somerville is one of the instructors for the master's class the executive protection specialist master's class we're going to be rolling out where he talks about this topic he's an expert witness and he goes in depth on how to mitigate these types of risks uh within your employees and within your company and different things like that higher level concerns that we deal with on the ground and also but as security managers and company owners. Um, and also, I should mention that Steve Somerville is coming to us from our EPL Canada chapter. So for those of you who don't know, we are branching out as a brand. You're going to see EPL Canada. You'll see another satellite uh, a satellite chapter and, and all around the world, maybe in Mexico popping up next. We'll see, but these different cadres that we're elevating are people that you need to pay attention to because they have a lot of value to give this industry. And we're going to be bringing that to you guys through the Executive Protection Lifestyle brand here over the course of, you know, the next year and into the future. So stand by for that. It's an honor. Yeah, it's an honor to join forces with all of you. So just um, briefly, would you mind just unearthing your, your extensive background for everyone real quick for me, oh. uh, Mr. Somerville, because he,
1: this man has done some things and I, I don't want to leave any of them out. Well, thank you, sir. Real briefly, and this is to talk about just where I come from. I yes, was uh, a serving member of the Toronto Police Service for 24 years, just under a quarter of a century. I finished with rank, a rank, a staff sergeant and I finished my tenure, my career at the Ontario Police College. That is the second largest police training facility in the world. First one is the largest, the FBI Academy in Quantico. And um, my role was to train the defense tactics, use of force, firearms, curriculum, all your intermediate weapons, to serving police officers in our province, province of Ontario. And I had come from the Toronto Police Service, that is Canada's largest municipal police service, probably around 8,500 members uh, police officers that serve the community. And my role was to provide training, to be able to articulate that training and work into content and curriculum. I also would be able to provide training to various platforms of training considerations throughout the country, uh, on the direction of my chief police or police services board. And in my career, I got into the realm of expert testimony. Because at times you need to explain to a judge or jury and or the community as to why people are trained, how people are trained, what are the reasonable expectations associated to it, and with specific actions that are being reviewed, did that make sense? Was the actions of your agent or guard, police officer, were they consistent with your training and reasonable necessary in the context of their application? And that did not end when I left policing. I left policing in 2001. I went to a major broadcaster in Canada in security. That would be the equivalent of MTV. And back at that time, it was called Much Music in Canada. And I was able to, literally on a Friday, I gave up policing. And on the Saturday, we started with Madonna tour out west in Vancouver. So we went from literally a police uniform to a rock and roll environment within 24 hours. What a parachute. Wow. And I went from an environment where chasing people away maybe not literally, but inviting them in to be a part of that concert of experience. So I did that for about six years. And then around 2006, I was um, created a, a training program. I've gone out private for the last 15 years, actually. But what I've been able to do, Byron, is um, I've testi- testified against this throughout these, the country. I've actually now testified in four provinces and one territory in this country as an expert in use of force and education associated to it. And I want to, just to show the viewer, uh, I'm just not a hired gun, perhaps a poor choice of words, but I have testified for and against police action. I'm non-partial, I'm non-partisan. I tell the truth under oath, and sometimes the truth can be painful, but um, as you know, I just got back a few days ago for Edmonton, Alberta. We'll look at a video segment in a moment, share with your viewers. But, um, yeah, I've testified for and against, in, including security with especially the healthcare world. So I'm not a hired gun. I'm one that's telling the truth under oath. You can count on that. And what we review is your policies and your procedures, the curriculum that you provided and the content, content and context of applications. See if that meets that litmus test. So virtually for the last 44 years, that's a snapshot of what I do.
0: Outstanding, outstanding man. No, it's it's an honor to share share these conversations with someone who has so much experience at those levels. You know, um, and then yeah, viewers, we're gonna go ahead and dig into some real world uh, events that actually can help us understand where people go wrong you know, and and where people have gone right and and uh, kind of look at some real world application on these things uh, that we're talking about in terms of mitigating these types
1: of risks um, that you may have to answer for in the courtroom. So, yeah, yeah, that's a cool, that's an interesting thing, you know, and I'm not being disingenuous at all when I say mm-hmm. this, but at times when there's criticism, it's yeah. done often with an agenda, and other people have a specific desire to Perhaps deify what you do to characterize you as a thug, to show mm-hmm. that you had no empathy, no sympathy, and that your actions were criminal or negligent in context. And certainly in the executive protection lifestyle, in that component, you're dealing with clients' needs, you're dealing with working often with law enforcement, you're providing a level of protection that at times could be challenging. And the moment you might have to go active, put your hands on people. Um, As exciting as that might be, invigorating it might be, we need to look at the potential consequence of our actions. And we've certainly seen, you know, uh, I, I look at CNN, I see the newsworthy items, I look at Fox Broad Network as well to see that balance. But we need to take a look at what causes anger and frustration in the community, especially when your actions are deemed to be inappropriate or racist in nature. And what other options, reasonable options, which you've had and the extremity of your actions were excessive and criminal in nature. And that's that begs to shut you down. And when you are now exposed to incarceration, that changes the culture, the culture. We cannot be dismissive of public scrutiny and public input. Especially dealing people that are looking at their legal rights to demonstrate and to gather, you know, and that is consistent north and south of the border, canning, United States. We're aware of that. And when people rise to voice their opinions, especially over issues like pandemic and masking and mandatory vaccination or not, these are issues that bring people forward. And it's just not that the people you're dealing with have these undesirable desires. There is passion, there's intellect, there's anger that you have to deal with, that emotional context. Right. So when I'm dealing with an individual, a man or woman, that's emotional or upset, have you factored in big questions? And just one common question, Byron. Often I see police officers or agents ask is when you dealt with my client, did you consider the fact that they were afraid you stated that they were exhibiting resistance, causing you to lay force. But did you stop and think for one moment that they were afraid of you? And you are dealing with a fearful human being. What level of resistance of any would you anticipate? So now yeah. you're going to be put on the spot with the types of response mechanisms that you might encourage. Here's the thing. In our world, north and south of the border, did you consider de-escalation? Mm-hmm. Do you know what it is? How did you ask a person? And then he can tell you. Did you seek voluntary compliance? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are put on the spot, sir, because they don't even know what those words mean. Oh, man, that's tragic. You need to give a person an out, a chance for an out. Mm -hmm. And contextually, what do you say? And I'm not walking up into a person's face and space and saying, you're going to do this or else. Right. Or or else I'm going to hurt you or I'm going to apply force in you. You need to create a reasonable option for the person to comply. You need to say things to them like, I'm not going to hurt you. Do you understand that? Yeah, I'm going to ask you to consider. Will you do that? And what if, what if the person you're dealing with exhibits signs, social, and mental health? We call the EDPs or emotionally disturbed persons, mm-hmm. or they're on substance abuse, or they're having issues associated to um, medication prescribed or otherwise. It's gone awry, and you may not know that. But if you're dealing with a person's mentally ill, in executive protection. And just, just take a look at um, my friends here at Sentinel Security. They're dealing with the uh, Alive Movie Festival, Toronto mm-hmm. National Film Festival coming up. You get a lot of unique personalities out there that want to get close to the talent. All over as the being board. Polite, being professional. Yeah, yeah, And want to touch the talent. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean they're criminal in nature, but you've got to take reasonable steps to prevent that human interaction. Right. And what if our scope of involvement maybe wasn't consistent? with what is expected of the community. person isn't offering resistance to you and you hurt them. Right. So does your training program for your specific company offer de-escalation program? Does it offer empathy? Does it offer a sympathetic response to how we deal with people or is it just simply an administration force? That is questions that I need to ask you to consider uh, in terms of how we plan our trade. Wow outstanding is that fair that's
0: absolutely fair you know and that's the reality based on the the, the culture that we all live in now you know yeah. that's the reality that we have to you know i talk about selling security you know what you're doing right now you know is it is it is it youtube friendly are you selling security are you doing something that you're going to be able to justify if they're Assume, like in Iraq, we always, everything we did, assume the enemy's watching you. Is it prudent to sit down and look tired right now? Is it prudent to, you know, assume the enemy's watching you? And I always tell my guys, assume there's a camera on you at all times. And you've got to realize that every decision you make, you've got to be selling security, not anything else, not tough guy stuff or whatever else is in your mind. And so this is another reason why, you know, I think we, we don't focus as an industry on these skills uh, enough. You know, we talk about the hard skills and the soft skills. This is a soft skill component. That's one of the most important, even in combat in a war zone, you know, I'm in Iraq and, and, and when you were telling me about training those guys, those troops uh, I always I like, it's so important because the first thing I needed, when I was on the ground in in, in in Iraq and I made contact with people was I needed to be able to de-escalate situations and I needed to help them feel safe. I needed to be able to communicate that to them as I started I coming in contact. Please.
1: Yes, sir. How did you do that? You know,
0: For, honestly... You
1: know, not put you in the spot, of course. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you thinking before you said something? Right. Um, I needed to establish
0: with them that I wasn't, I didn't need to become aggressive, that we could could navigate this, what we need to do, and it doesn't need to become aggressive. And honestly, it was a lot of eye contact and it was a lot of me being grounded and helping them see that no matter, kind of almost no matter what they do, as long as I'm maintaining a safe position, that I wasn't getting sucked into
1: the chaos that they were feeling inside. I hope that's a good way of explaining it. And you've you got know. the heartbeat of that material. You've got that. That's a secret. Thank That's you. a secret sauce mm. to this special meal that, you know, we can all, all, all taste and respond to. Can we take Thank you to 1993? Yes, sir. Uh, an American, Dr. George Thompson, released a book called Verbal Judo.
2: Mm. I do yes. read it if heard about it.
1: Yes, sir, but I've read it. North and south of more brill- I would invite any of our viewers to check out that book, Verbal Judo, The Art of Rhetoric. Right. You know, and to use speech and communications to initiate and solicit the voluntary compliance Absolutely. without having to lay the hands. And Mr. Right. Thompson was a former police officer and a former school teacher. And you, you look at his stories and that, and he's a hardcore guy. Yeah. A, you wouldn't see this guy working at Walmart. He just wouldn't do well at customer service. Right. But he learned through error, trial, and tribulation is that the most powerful weapon we have, just destructive weapon we have, is the mouth. Absolutely. And things that come out, and things that you say, and I usually ask people in my classrooms, I usually start out, I, I, hook, them. I hook them. I usually say, can anybody here show me, please, just raise your hands who either at work or home has said something to calm down a human being. A lot of hands go up. So I say, OK, well, following up on that question, who here, by saying something, is thoroughly pissed off another human being? <laughs> and then I say, by the way, here's the aha moment, and who's good at it? Who's good at it? Who's good Who has at it? ever been yeah. criticized? Oh, I do. And who's ever been criticized for being sarcastic? Mm-hmm. Bob Iron, have you ever been criticized for being sarcastic? <laughs> I can be right? so sarcastic. Have you ever said something oh, man, that, that you wish you could take back?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you yeah, ever been offended by what a person said to you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you ever been offended what people you know, have said to you? Have you ever been offended by something you've said yeah. to another person? Think about that one for a minute. Yeah. Have you ever anything come out of your mouth thinking? Whoa, mm-hmm. that's not good. Yeah, Ooh, it was it was hurt. And then it's what do you allow
0: that offense to do inside of you? You know, what's your default response package for that? And that I think that emotional intelligence is where you really start to separate uh classes of people that survive, that thrive in these types of situations, and that right. and that fail.
1: You know, because yeah, but um, now when you have position of authority. Oh, gosh. And you are in a position to determine the relevance of laying your hands. i call it laying the hands. I'm going to write a book someday. It's going to be called laying the hands. Yeah. And if you think about it for one moment, when the tipping point occurs, when you just suddenly reach out and touch a human being, that can be the hot point, the trigger point, the tipping point of an altercation. Because how many times have you ever talked to a person professionally? I should register that professionally. And had a person say, don't touch me. Take your hands off me! Get yeah, me. get out of my face! Get out of my space! This is a reflexive caution. response. This is a. And this is who a, do you and allow it, to get close to you in your life? You know, intimate people, only yeah, intimate the intimate people. Yeah, the intimate zone is yeah. the same zone that we that we use for fighting. Right. Adversity and that throws a lot of human that tilts a lot of people's thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's an intimate thing. It is, and when you're <laughs> escorting a client or escorting, you know, a person away from a client, I should say or you're laying the hands, you get that resistance, you get that flash, don't you touch me and take mm-hmm. your hands on me, ding, 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 the fight's on. Oh, yeah. And the person turns to you later and says, I did nothing wrong. Who was the first person that struck who? And that's when the whole process can start to unravel. Absolutely. Outstanding. Good stuff. So let's dig into some of these videos. Let's get into yeah, some real gonna world applications. I'm going to take you to uh, Edmonton, Alberta, out west. the okay. West. And uh, I'm going to not put you, uh, I might put you on the spot with respect. I'm going to ask you, after you see it, to tell me what you think. Is mm-hmm. that okay? All right, absolutely. Here's the, video, here's the video clip that was shown. It was filmed by a national broadcaster, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, acquired from a cell phone wow. of a concerned citizen that changed the life and the career path of a police officer. So let's wow. just run this, please, if you can. And yes, uh, I'm going to ask you what you
0: think, sir outstanding yeah it's a it's executive protection lifestyle so i think my people are used to me being a student in front of them that's what this whole brand is supposed to be <laughs> sure.
1: so and of course we'll, we'll share a beer when we meet in miami so yes we'll sir oh
2: buddy buddy buddy
1: Now, can I run that one more time? It's a 26-second video. Yes, sir. All right.
2: Put the cuffs on them
1: okay that's the video clip so what i'm going to ask you well first of all you guys me anything but what do you think what's your gut tell you sir um
0: my gut says this is a hard one to sell man the the um the suspect or the perpetrator the person that we are detaining is on the floor Uh, he looks like he's either already subdued or he's already submitted. Um, He's submitting to the officer who has already made physical contact with him. Um, And for that second officer to walk up and drop his knee on his head like that, that is a possibly lethal blow that from this angle, at least, and with the snapshot of information that I have access to because of this clip, Uh, didn't look warranted. You know, um, I couldn't really make out the hands. Maybe he was doing something with his hands that I couldn't see. Maybe there's more information. It looked like then they put the cuffs on him and took something off this person. Maybe he was reaching for a gun, I don't know. But if I just would say in terms of selling security and selling uh, professional interaction with, uh, you know, with those who were sworn to protect, This is going to be a tough one because it looks like it was an unwarranted drop of the knee to this guy's head or face region. Um, And hopefully that's not what it was, because I, you know, I I want the
1: protectors to come out on top and I want that would be your professional opinion.
0: (laughs) That would be the best I can come up with off of this. 30 second uh, sure. clip at a um, uh,
1: and thank you for that. I, I yes, appreciate sir. that honest. And that is majority. Uh, I show this usually to my conscious in my life, my wife, she looked at, oh my gosh, you know, and brought her, her hands up to her mouth, and she was offended, a little bit mortified by what she saw. So here's the thing: sometimes when we review incidents, especially in video, I'm gonna invite you to consider the following. You saw a snippet, you saw a right, movie trailer. Right. Right. Have you ever seen a movie trailer? Think, oh, looks like a good movie. See mm-hmm. the movie and completely disappointed. That happened last night. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I won't ask you the, the movie you saw, but maybe you'll tell me. Right. Uh, here's the thing we can get duped mm-hmm. into perhaps being prejudiced on what we see. Right. What I start to look at when I see a video context, I usually say to people, you'd agree that's a quick thing. You do not see the initial interaction. You saw the officer moving. His name was Parkington, Constable Parkinson. He moved to the right and administered a knee drop. Right. Questions that you might want to ask at that point is why, what was the basis, what was the considerations, and maybe you need. I'm not suggesting your decision would change, mm-hmm. but perhaps if you had more information, that might be useful for you. Right. You right. might want to understand the other officer's first interaction, because right. Right. I wanted to go back to the beginning. I wanted to find what brought all these people together, where things unfolded to the point where you started the video, but I wanted to see what wasn't on the video. I right. was interested to see what occurred prior to the cell phone starting to be filmed. Mm-hmm. And what I determined and what was evidential uh, material was that the initial officer, his name was McCarger and that you didn't see him, you didn't see him. He was having an inch, uh, a discussion arguably over the perception of a stolen bicycle. You didn't see the bicycle just to left there of the fallen man. Um, I guess it's off your screen, but I can still see it in mine. The the issue was here is during the conversation, the gentleman to him, and he was creating a bylaw fence in Edmonton, Alberta. You've got to have a bell on your bike and you can't drive it on the sidewalk. Very, very minutiae, very minor, but it's a basis to talk. It's just a response I was talking to you. You're right. But the person refused to identify himself to the officer, and hmm. that is a oh. breach. And during that conversation, he shut the officer and started to run. It okay. Now, this is a heavy, heavy crime area in Edmonton, And it's a lot of known, a lot of weaponry. A lot of people having sharks on their clothing, sharp edged weapons for years, sometimes firearms in your clothing. And this suddenly is all the other officers heard on the air and the radios foot pursuit of one. And in my world, when an officer is chasing another, there's risk. Oh yeah. In that moment, unconscious and confident, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. We need to think about risk to the officer, risk to the community. And at that moment, the dispatcher voiced out for the officer, 20, what's your location, where are you going? No response. That raises the alarm bell. Because suddenly now, there's. Uh, I see my friend, I see Byron, But pursuit, i work worked with Byron, I know Byron. This guy, you're not responding. And you've got a mic, lapel radio, and you've got the car radio. And then you hear an out-of-huffing-and-puffing officer, you know, got him, I got him. You know, I need help to get him handcuffed. At that moment, the dispatcher voiced out any car in the area to respond. One of our officers are having a problem holding one. We need this information. So the officer that, Parkington, you mentioned, that was the officer that you saw come in from the right side of the screen. Um, He was the one charged with assault. And he's the only officer up to this point in time in Edmonton, Alberta, that has been suspended without pay. It's been a year, year, and a half now. And COVID unfortunately shut down the trial for a while. So what was interesting is that people went to judgment real quickly without understanding the full side of the story and what Partington thought. And Partington just testified here uh, Friday of this past, excuse me, Thursday of this past week, a few days ago, doing the mm-hmm. broadcast. And what he explained was, I heard, I know this officer. He's a big officer. This guy's a beast. We call him McGillicorell. This is a big guy. And. You know he's never seen another physical skirmish before, and what they're concerned about is the level of resistance. And what I need to count on is if I take you down to the ground, is because obviously we could not negotiate a form of interaction. Right. And the north and south of the border, that grounding process—you drive a person to the ground, face down, belly down—to eliminate, and mitigate movement. You know that. Right. But what we need to understand is I got to control this person's hands. See the mouth work. you. The hands can hurt you. Hands will kill you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they can kill you. And what happens is, especially in the context of an arrest, I needed to quick forcible action of it. So when Partington drove up, he put it into park and he saw that he the officer, his colleague, his associate, did not have the person in a handcuffing position. His hand, one hand was up, the other hand was underneath your stomach. Yeah, that's a problem. That's called access to belt line, access to clothing line. Right. You know, I'm singing to the choir here, but you, in your world especially, you know about how weapons are conveyed and carried usually in your clothing, pants, stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, I must control hand access. He also saw that his partner, McCarger's hands, white knuckles were white, white, white. He was holding on. He couldn't hold. Because I was surprised because this constable is like 220 pounds. This guy's a weightlifter. He, can handle it. he could not control this guy. Wow. So the officer believed, and he testified under oath. He mm-hmm. testified that, Your Honor, when I approach this situation, Fine. I had no idea if my partner was hurt. I did not know what the reason or rationale was behind, but I did not want to hurt this man, but I want to stop movement. And yeah. we have what we call in defensive tactics and law enforcement, a shoulder ground pin where I get you down, belly down. I would apply weight to the back upper upper right portion of your back. Yep. He said, interesting. That was my intent. That was my desire. I wanted to deliver my knee dead center of that shoulder blade and it worked. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. Yeah. It was remarkable. That was the only blow delivered. The only blow. And then he was able to acquire the hand. Yeah. Get the hands in handcuffing position. Now, if i run that video later, dude, timer states it didn't, but you hear from the original officer, it was McCarver, you hear a conduct that I would not say is professional. They're swearing right. good at cursing, dropping the F-bomb. That's doesn't show usually a person that's in its level of homostasis. Right. Drover. The other officer did not say anything. Matter of fact, told the person he's gonna raise him to his feet, double lock the handcuffs as a safety feature. Yeah. Right. Searched him as you'd expect. And yeah. interesting enough, after the action, Byron, there was zero injury to the person on the ground, no injury at all. Not recording any hospitalization, no complaints or anything. Right. So the said, you know, and Heinz said, I wish it were a gift. I wish it were a gift. The officer yeah. said, You're on your honor, under oath, um, I accept the fact that it was probably harder than I should have, didn't know it at the time. I didn't mm-hmm. see that. At the time. And yeah. there really, uh, I look at move. I, I wish I had done that, but it worked, it was effective. And the question that the Crown Attorney, the prosecutor, put to him was that, well, would you have done it again? Yes, I would. Because I realized that's a really meaty area. It was not the neck, it was not the head. You wouldn't yeah. do that. Circumstantially, I would never yeah. direct a knee or a heart strike to your neck, your head, your spine. Right. But the big meaty area of the upper back, that is desired target area in law enforcement, north and south of the border. That yes. is humane. That's Armin. Yeah. yeah. So now, uh, here's an interesting thing. I should be careful how I say this, but the prosecutor here was very mindful of the fact that uh, you didn't want to get into other options because the officer stated, you know, I didn't want to hurt this guy. And I didn't hurt this guy. Mm. There was no intent to hurt him. I wanted to control him. And I've learned to my training and my coach officers and training and common sense and policing that if I can apply a technique on you, to stop of movement control your hands without hurting you, that's what I'm seeking. Yeah. So that was the whole story that came out. And, by the way, I need to add this too, sir, is there was additional peripheral evidence, citizens. Citizens saying, well, if you saw the video, but the video did not capture the resistance and the struggling on the ground. Yeah. The person captured by the video. And these were nonpartisan, not on the payroll. Of the police didn't know the cops. It's wow. telling the truth. That this, was standing. this is where I live, and I saw this. And that's extremely beneficial evidence. So at the end of the day, knowing that information, Mm -hmm. not to put you in the spot, my friend, but might that change your view of the officer's actions?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I absolutely. I think my main thing and I think the thing that I try to do with these videos is, you know. Uh, you know, and I think I mentioned this. I was like, it's just hard to tell. This is a hard video to sell. Like this is clickbait, viral police fodder <laughs> video. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and so yeah. it's easy to get sucked into that. But you yeah. know, it, when you see your guy pull something, and and I I thought a weapon was going to be produced at some point because it looked like they were they were probably doubling up the cuffs, but it looked like maybe they were pulling something out or. You just don't know what's going on you know like you don't know what's going on with your guy you have to assume or hope actually i think is the way i said it i hope there was more information that justified that action you have to look at these guys and you want to look at them and say you know what i hope that something drove that response through that police officer other than a negative
1: base well emotional thing if there was just a situation, you're sitting there traversing with me, and all of a sudden you throw me to the floor and a hard yeah. <laughs> technique. No, right. obviously not. That's who does just, that? You know. Yeah, who would do that, right? But oh, it's there's always right. content to context. <laughs> right. And what we need in our industry is to be open-minded enough to be able to seek out all the information, all the evidence, gather that all together, and then provide a non-partisan opinion. Yeah, I'm not yeah. on the payroll. I'm telling you the truth as we see it. Right, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said, in "Court, you know that you use of force, self defense is not pretty sometimes. No, it's really uh, not pretty." And yeah. I don't know what caused the person to run. And there was a legal, the officer the what they call it, is in place, in other words, you had a legal authority to act, So the right. legalities right. weren't argued. And what was argued was the, the decision to administer knee drop. Mm-hmm. Well. Use of force, at times, you don't have the opportunity to review, and it's spontaneous. In 2005, it's a brilliant book written by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Yes. You caught it. He's Canadian, too, by the way. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Two I, points I for you guys. <laughs> so I'm going to plug Canada there for a second. Right. I was also uh, an editor, not an editor, but a contributor uh, for New, New Yorker magazine. So he's well-revered. He's had six best-selling books. But his wow. book Blink talks about rapid cognition and how we quick make quick, 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 quick rapid decisions. And his book really features in the 1990 shooting, uh, 99 shooting of Amadou Diallo in New York City by four plainclothes police officers. And how by virtue of doing certain behaviors that you might flag as risk, you put your hands in your pocket and you blade, you turn your hips, that caused Amadou Diallo to be shot 41 times by four police officers. And I'm certain you know what happened with the racial riots in in New York City. But when he was asked to identify himself, and he pulled something out of his pocket that was black. And you heard one officer say, he's got a gun. All guns came out. It's over, it's over. Do you know what yellow pulled out of his pocket? You probably know this. His wallet. His wallet and his bag. He's trying to identify himself, man. man. Nightmare. This is where your training can also defeat you. Right. Because if you're primed, negatively primed, could view resistance based on some body language Mm -hmm. that might be a little tweet the wrong way, suddenly you think you're responding to lethal or situation that is false. It's erroneous and it's false. And this was bad timing depending on, and Gladwell speaks about that in a blank. This either is an overt sign of racism or just okay. really bad decision. Now, the four white, I should say this, a white New York yeah. City police officers were acquitted, found not guilty with respect to shooting death of Diallo and that created race riots in New York City. Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen, I don't know if you're a friend of the boss, recorded a song called 41 Shots in the uh, memory of New Deal. So uh-huh. we had this north and south of the border. And, you know, we had a situation, don't know, uh, we will time to talk Maybe next time. We're going to go to another province, a little west of us, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, perhaps in this case, context in a home. And let it, let it run. Uh, it's a couple of minute video, quick, but um, let me run, then we'll talk. How's that? I wasn't too, wasn't too favorable here with police response because of empathy. I'm a big one in empathy, mm-hmm. the power of empathy, and I don't believe it was applied. Let's take a look. It's a brief video, about a minute in duration. And unfortunately, the video does not sound the causation behind the officer's appearance. But clearly, you
2: don't hear the youth being arrested, you don't hear any instructions regarding the youth. There's nothing to that he has to comply the officer's request seems to speak from outside. And unfortunately, there is some uh, conduct, that, that probably would cause some strength from the police officer in the area where he was responding physically to what we would describe as being really passive as his behavior. The youth was sparing out, and the officer physically responded what appears to be a slap. Were the officer's actions justified? The officer's actions, according to the video, I assume nothing would justify and the officer's actions the use of advanced police training dictates the establishment of reform, attempts to yesterday's loss of the, most, uh, the challenges, verbal challenges and whatnot, enough in there interest police training, with uh, to be, so the officer's actions are necessary to try the department center to There is a second officer in the video. What do you have to say about the actions of the second officer? Well, the physical, the second officer, female officer, did not physically touch the move, but I didn't see anything the officer's action suggest you tried to stop and intercede with the male officer's actions. You could have said stop or tried to take some step in some form to prevent the youth from being Have you ever seen or heard of any other incidents like this before? Oh, in four decades of policing and training, yes. I've had similar incidents. Um, they we're trying to adjudicate in a 60 second video. Perhaps we didn't see
0: any initial communications that came in. I'm not certain exactly what the officer's experience was, or what he saw. So, but the 60 second one minute video doesn't describe the officer's only really team's force at that point. One of the officers, the male officers, went on ahead and got physical, uh, maybe a little early in the overall uh, situation.
1: Yeah, let's very briefly set the stage, if me. This was a domestic situation involving a teenager in her home. And the teenager is being disrespectful to the parents. And the parents decided to call the police to say, You got to speak to my kid. My young man here is just mouthpiece, disrespectful to mom. And uh, I think a police officer would make a difference. So, police officers were invited into the home. And he started to, the, the male police officer started speaking to the youth, young indigenous male saying, to speak to your mom like that. So pardon my, I was going to say, pardon my French. <laughs> but of course the young youth turned around, fuck you. I think you're needed too. And he to <laughs> really vocabulary. Yeah. And the officer hauled off and slapped him across the face. Oh, oh. Yeah. And kicking it up a notch. This much. is there. You want more? And of course the youth was quiet. Now this was being recorded by the mom. On her cell phone, and she said, You know, I asked the police to come in here to be peacekeepers, be a peace officer, not to slap my kid. I could have done that. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that as a parental decision. Right. But point being is, at what point do you commence communications? You know, and here's the thing. It's you so have to have bad. A this is, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind
0: around the catastrophic nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, I mean the Oh, my
1: Lord. All right. You know, <laughs> You strike a kid, bad day at the office. Yeah, like there you go. Now I feel better. I'm gonna hit you, son, until I feel better, you know. Like you don't want to go there. Especially when are wearing a uniform and the abuse fact, another officer was charged and pled to assault. Yeah. And you now the other criticism was is what should the officer have done? And don't know if you caught it. We'll send you the video, of course. But what Mm we, we, the the issue was there is you need to enter a home, you need to have skin coated with Teflon at times, if you know what I mean by that. If I could say something to you, sir, that's going to change your demeanor, if I could say, use words that are going to impact and affect your performance, if I'm going to make you lose your temper to the point point the other with an open hand or close your fist and strike me, you've really lost, not me. Yeah, Psychologically, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, don't get me. I'm not a zealot. I fully am an advocate. I mean, martial arts ever since I was five years old. It seems, and there's times if I can talk to you, I'll talk you down. You raise your hands to me, we're gonna have an altercation. I'm not going to be assaulted or allow anybody in my safety zone to be assaulted. But I'm gonna make certain that's a last-ditch requirement, and there was no other reasonable means to resolve the situation. You've got to be able to manage adversity. So that gets you into your education, and I believe should be a integral part of EP training, is the escalation of and how do you calm people? How to keep yourself calm. Mm-hmm. And if I call you names, no doubt, sir, you've been called names professionally, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, not today. Not today. It's a really uh, morning out yeah. <laughs> uh, Right, right. You've been, you've been called names. Did you allow that to affect your moral fiber? No. no. Well, and I think, I think
0: what you mentioned was very important. This is where you start to get into your training and, you know, knowing who you are, I think very largely comes from your training and your education and the values that are instilled in there. You know, I know who I am because I live that lifestyle, right? This executive protection lifestyle, but I invest in being that person and I cultivate being that person and I earn the respect of that person on a daily basis. When I'm at work, this is like it's like a chess game. Everything's out. It's like I'm flying in a cockpit. You know, this is me
1: navigating something oh, outside of me. It's I'm comf- I'm performing surgery. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you are.
2: These are the types you of things. are,
1: and you've got to maintain your integrity when mm-hmm. you're dealing with the public, customers, clients. Absolutely, you know, and just not when you're being videotaped, right? Person, cell phone. That's not <laughs> when you raise the bar in terms of performance. i oh, I didn't know it was being filmed. Yeah, you know, no. I was. I'm an old guy. I remember the first time in Toronto. When I was a riot team officer, mm. crowd control—we didn't call it riots back then—but it was a riot. Um, and remember, back then during the Rodney King fiasco, oh yeah, 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 oh, man. And when he was when the officers were acquitted in that trial, there were riots in Miami, LA, and Toronto. Oh, really? Jeez. Toronto got down, gosh. got down for him too. <laughs> Three nights for the first time, we actually placed our public order. It was only our crowd control team. Is only prepared for a G7 summit. Okay. But suddenly now it was the Avenue. We're up all the time, they're out all the time. But yeah, suddenly now we realized we got some intel. This was gonna go pretty strong. And what we see in CNN, this is gonna end yes, sir enough. We start with the looting, we start with the rioting in Toronto. For three full nights, we were out deployed trying to talk to people to go home. This is not working. Wow. And yeah, we had to put and we had to go shoulder to shoulder and clear thousands and thousands of people who were angry, who were emotional were very opposed to police presence mm. and thought that, you know, north or south of the border, you're wearing that uniform, you're representing the same entity. Wow. And this is just a horrible, horrible uh, issue that occurred. So, for those reasons, um, yeah, we were public order and we had to deal with what we had to deal with. So, a bit of an offshoot is the verbiage that you are trained to see. And I would invite any of your business owners um, to ensure that you have a a part of your training curriculum on effective communications and de-escalation skills, but put it together with role playing. See, anybody will ask you, or anybody can ask you, well, what would you say within these circumstances? Put it into play. Put it into a scenario and watch the scenario. We did things here at at the Sentinel Office, that you might be interested in. We put people to the test. And what we did, sir, we videotaped you. And at the end of the scenario, without you seeing the videotape, I asked you to write up your report. Your notes, and then after a quick coffee, just to raise your caffeine levels, we step mm-hmm. through like a mock trial. Okay. Where you're going to be cross-examined on what you did or didn't do, and it's interesting how the deficiencies. So it's like a movie and the script don't quite line up. Yeah. And we asked them that, and we put good people in training. In training, <laughs> they lost their mojo. They got angry. One young man was, uh, <laughs> I won't mention his name, Ben. One, one yeah. young man was, uh Burn. to the test where I was saying, Well, you said you didn't strike. Let's just look at the video. So, whoa, you did strike the subject during your arrest. So, you were lying then, or you're lying. What are, what are you telling the truth? Are you telling the truth now, but you weren't? No. And it just unravels his whole gameplay. And, and he got angry at me. Yeah, And um, I had to back off, create some distance. I was surrounded by a lot of security professionals. So, I felt, reasonably safe yeah let's play some games yeah. <laughs> but yeah i said to him later in a private moment i said if i can uh, create adversity and anger in a training concept my friend what do you do when it's real yeah he looked at me and he touched my arm and said point taken, point taken. yeah You're and how we need lot. to gather our thoughts mm-hmm. and how we need to collect our thoughts because you have know that written document that you put forward oh yeah who can do it who can read that Who's going to have access to your written documents? Mm-hmm. And north and south of the border, you have freedom of information requests.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you dismiss and you do not include detail and you do not include the reasonable actions and measures that you consider prior to going hands-on, that could become the worst decision you likely have ever made. I usually find people with respect to our industry, sir, are very poor communicators on paper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't yeah. document things well. And that can become a real hindrance to trying to successfully defend your actions. And I'm going to put that onto the supervisors and the business owners. You know, pick them by for a second. When one of your agents um, have an action and something is enforced, you view the documentation. Does that meet your Does that meet your satisfaction? If you read through a document, and you have to answer questions. You need to make certain that's a fulsome report. Wow. and the context associated to it and it should meet some form of model uh, one model i'm familiar with in the states is the ppct model mm-hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with that there's a number of use of force models and reference points and ppct is a very popular training program in the united states it's gone worldwide actually wow. but they have like a use of force continuum model you need to yeah. speak to the steps you need to look at a situational analysis and how you break down your thoughts should be transferred to paper and that is one thing we really shoot ourselves in the foot. Huge. I wonder why we stumble because the written product is a basis of your success. The written product is the
0: basis of oh. your success. This is big because obviously I was going to ask you, like, so what can professionals do to protect themselves? What types of things are really kind of foundational for navigating these types of incidents? And you're saying the written product is one of the bedrocks of actually protecting yourself uh, under coming scrutiny.
1: Absolutely. And if you do think about the document you're right today, if you're like me, I forget what I did 15 minutes ago. Right. And as time goes by and you, you work regularly, you're a busy man. I know that Absolutely. Right. you're out there all the time. As and I'm going to suggest with all due respect, uh, yes, one year, two years, three years from now, the likeliness of you being able to accurately recall and memory recall precisely what you did or what you didn't do is going to start to fail. Memory fails. Mm mm-hmm. And the closest opportunity you have to best recall is immediately after it occurred, unless there's a stressful situation, unless you're exposed to PTSD environment where you could be shut down. That's another story. Um, the the issues are is that written document is gonna allow you to refresh your memory. It's a basis of scrutiny, it's a basis of cross-examination. And when you deviate, when you deviate from your testimony based on your initial occurrence or your reports or your notes, Mm -hmm. you're gonna be asked by sage counsel, by a, a trained attorney, is to show the discrepancies of your testimony. So they're going to say these. So you have, you thought that was important. You said it was important, yet you didn't include it in your original notes. Can you explain why? I would suggest, <sighs> sir, that you were trying to prevent the truth. You didn't really want to show that you led my client down the path of, you know, harm. You had an agenda. You're uh, like a, uh, you're a Marine. You know, it's a... It's a moment where, for you, you didn't really care. You showed no empathy. And my victim, my client was a victim of your agenda. But see, the report can stun it right from the get-go. I deal with a lot of litigation counsel in Canada. Wow. And I should probably say this. But I'm going to say this anyway. I've had a lot of coffees. I'm not accountable for what to say. <laughs> but the, the, the issue is, is that a lot of times, the decision to litigate you is based on written documentation that's been assessed before a law firm is willing to take the file. Wow!
2: So they've got There's you in the crosshairs
1: lot, yeah, before you want even to find use, yourself what sitting there. terrifies litigation counsel is knowledge, and it's applicable knowledge. The skill sets. Wow! So your documentation should include a use of force policy or procedure that your companies should have. Right. Make certain that I was according to my training and my policy procedure. I applied what's expected of me. I right. took reasonable steps. You know, even at the Ontario Police College, do you know what we teach a police officer to say before I play my hands? When circumstances permit, you will hear an officer say, Is there anything I could say or do that it would cause changed. me not to have to use force on you? Please? Yeah. What can I do to resolve this? Is there not anything I could say to you, Mr. Rogers, that would uh, we can resolve this issue? I don't wish to apply force. on you. See, that's extremely relevant and useful verbiage because it shows that it's not a question of me applying force. You chose that option, not me. Right. That's a difficult premise to defend.
0: And I'm giving you an opportunity to opt out of, to get off this trajectory with me, you know? Well, okay, give me a candy bar and I'll listen. Okay, well, let's get this man a
1: candy bar. Let's get him a candy, you know? You got it. And when we ask our people, you know, we we used to hire them, like our operatives working for us. Are we making certain we're hiring the right operative? Mm -hmm. And I would invite not criticizing, I would just invite, When before I hire a man or woman to work with us and work shoulder to shoulder with them, I invite them, I go through what's called a behavioral event interview, EEI. So I'd say to you, so Mr. Rogers, tell me, don't don't respond, but I'd say, Mr. Rogers, uh, tell me about a time in your life when you've displayed integrity. Mm -hmm. Would you tell me a time in your life, please, when you've shown compassion? What was the last argument you had in your life? And how was it resolved? Tell me about the last time you were angry. These are the good point. questions yeah yeah and then I nail you with the following oh by the way, in those examples just tell, I need a reference point because I have to confirm what you're telling me is accurate. a reference point like someone to call yeah. and confirm
0: yeah
1: so you're just not making it up and you're not lying and you're not spinning tails. so you know, good. I'm, I'm not looking to hire Stephen King who is not writing yeah. horror stories. I'm yeah. looking at a person a human being that can show exercise the ability to exercise judgment in adver- adversarial moments. Right. So, you know, uh, we, were Constantine was talking with us here prior to getting going this morning is the fact is that the virtues of a person
0: Oh, yeah.
1: takes the virtues of the word. And we need to understand what is it you're fighting for? Yeah. What is important to you? What is relevant to you? And when we lock away those thought making processes, you're getting into that paradigm of reasonable people making reasonable decisions. I'm not necessarily hiring the toughest person or the most fit person, the most trained person. I'm looking to hire the most ethical, moral, and person that can display reasonable thinking in, in moments of heat and pressure, pressure. Yeah, because I...
0: A hundred percent. And I agree with you, man. It's and I always say, you know, I can I can teach you tactics, but I don't want to be anywhere near you when you're learning character, high quality character. It's what's guiding you through the belly of the beast. That's what's really gonna have everything to do with how we come out or if we come out the other side or how we end up, you know. It's oh yeah. And and when that heat gets turned up is when you see what that person's guiding values really, really actually truly are, you know.
1: Absolutely. And you know, as human beings, um, we usually learn and practice things in moments of comfort. You think yeah. when you sit in a classroom, usually it's a comfortable environment. You know, you're you're sitting seated, usually in uh, an area, an ambiance. It's nice. You might have nice lighting. All oh, that everything's that's there realistic. for your comfort.
0: Everything. Yeah. Really the, yeah.
1: And you know, um, I'm in my sixties, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, what I can do compared to a man or woman in my twenties is different. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to steal the words of a very famous actor, Clint Eastwood, in a movie called Magnum Force, mm-hmm. where Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. in the movie said, Every good man good man, must realize their limitations. So, my best fighting days, I'm fit, but my best fighting days are behind me. So, I'd rather talk to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're, mm-hmm. you're a beast, Byron. I don't mm-hmm. want to fight you. I want to talk to you. We <laughs> still have a disagreement, but it does to get hands on, you know? Seriously. So, a uh, respectful <laughs> moment. But the point <laughs> being is, you know, when we take people through physical skills, do you, as an as a facilitator, need to take them through an uncomfortable process to do that and learn that? What I'm talking about, your heart rate needs to be up. Yep. Your blood pressure needs to be up. Mm-hmm. And that is the time you need to apply the technique and the tactic when you're tired and you're yeah. physically spent. Because that's the reality where our good people need to apply these skills. And that's when you start to assess people's abilities or not. And it's been my experience, sir, for decades doing this. I'm an old guy, but it's been my experience that when people get tired, you have a tendency, unless you've got the training to fall back on, you have a tendency to overreact. And you get a little desperate, so you start to do things that could be at that threshold criminality. It's not. It's just a desperate moment for a desperate time.
0: Right. Yeah. And this is when good people make mistakes and you're yeah. watching something and there, even they're sitting there going, I can't believe I did that, you know, and some, and I think it's a good place to be. That's why we need to inoculate ourselves, you know, at this, at that level to these stresses, you know, and um, I think that, and then is with regards to training on what you said, I think one of the hugest downfalls, and I was talking with one of the guys about this the other day is that modern training Everything, it was Craig Douglas on one of our other episodes. He's like, everything in your training environment is there for your comfort. You got your knee pads, you got your this, you got your that, air conditioned, had your coffee, you know, you know what's coming. We practice and we train so that our baseline of proficiency is increased. You know, this is why we're getting these reps in and we're training in different environments. And uh, why at the Protector Symposium 4.0 that's coming up, you guys? We we're gonna go on it. Yeah, no, exciting. and we're gonna have you guys down there. We're gonna. Are you? Are you coming down as well, right, Steve? Yes, definitely. definitely. Awesome. Uh, okay, I- a lot of fun. Outstanding. So you guys will have, you know, you'll be there. People can shake your hands. I'm sure this episode's going to be very much appreciated. Oh, be um, awesome. It's been, there's so much amazing information here. If you guys want to hear more about this, keep an eye out for our master's class that's coming out um, with, uh, ex- with the school, the league of executive protection specialists. We're coming up with a second level. So we have training day. Now the master's class and uh, Mr. Somerville gives us a whole period of instruction in there, but also keep an eye out, you know, um, Steve's details for his website and what he does will be in the list in the show notes below as well. So you guys can follow him and then EPL Canada. I'm sure you guys will be seeing some more things come down range with that. But so what would you say is the hardest lesson you've seen, you know, during your time professionally
1: in the field okay.
0: with regards to these things?
1: Great question. I think there's the pain associated to how the pendulum has changed in public opinion on law enforcement and people wearing a badge and attempting to provide a service to the community. That's now perhaps being misunderstood, and misrepresented. I I joined policing in 1978. And at that time, I can honestly say, sir, there was a healthy rapport and a healthy relationship with the community. And. And people want to talk, and they respect your uniform. I've seen this change, so I think we need to, as a whole in our industry, create an information base, a change a paradigm, change, become more more conversant with people. Really get down to what we're trying to do, communicate with people. I uh, would really like to see that how law enforcement is is revered uh, to be returned. So this really sort of broke my heart. Over the last decade yeah. is just how good people will be tarnished, and they look to be those bad guys, or bad girls. And that's, in my humble opinion, that's not fair. Yeah, I I, I agree
0: with that. And it's same here, man. You know, there's good and bad in every bunch. But oh, absolutely. Anytime you do a broad brush stroke and all of somebody's bad, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, right. your judgment right. is wrong. It doesn't matter, you know, what color, race, creed,
1: religion they are. You're just nope. That doesn't work that way. Uh,
0: no. That's you know, the,
1: in the greater Toronto area where I live, just in the outskirts of Toronto, mm. the United Nations UN has said that. The greater Toronto area is the most diverse community in the world. We speak over 200 different languages, 200 different cultures. And up. that's insane. Um, I'm always amazed. I ask people in my classrooms, um, you know, my private program. So many people speak more than one language. I see people putting their hands up, two, three, four. I I barely speak one language. And I'm, I'm in awe of people that are able to communicate. My kids speak too, they're bilingual. Wow. And the opportunity tough. to reach out communicate with people. But I use that as, as an avenue to learn you know when you're upset when you're afraid when you're vulnerable generally speaking people revert to their natural tongue whatever language you you feel comfortable in and can you begin to appreciate for a moment when you're in challenge feel that you're being threatened or afraid and you can't communicate can't be understood how that raises the bar of adversity and challenge so we've been very mindful in a multicultural society where in a greater Toronto, uh, area english is not even the top 10 language spoken anymore wow yeah. And a lot of people don't recognize that a bit of a melting pot in that sense, you know, and, and so many different cultures. And I learned years ago, culturally at times, and I've never deliberately tried to hurt anyone or make them feel bad. And, you know, it's interesting. You walk in different cultures, homes
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you can do things unknowingly to be insulting. Right. And I remember years ago. A gentleman, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very shake hands, you know, pre-COVID, right? Hello, how are you? Shake hands. And if you're there with your partner, i will shake their hands. Hello, welcome. My name is Steve C. Somerville. And I'd, I'd welcome you. And once I did that, and the gentleman stopped me. He said, why have you just insulted my family? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you you, you shook my hand's wife. I did. The wife's her. hand, yeah. Says, yeah we're yeah. we're Orthodox Jews. Why would you be touching my wife? And I went, <sighs> I said, I did not know that. He said, well, you should. You're a police officer. <laughs> And I went, you're right. Yeah, I said, I yeah. don't want to say this to other than I am sorry. I did not know. I know. And he says, it's accepted. Let's move on. Well done. Oh, That's, and I thought, uh, good job, man. Well done. <laughs> you know, and when you think culture, things that we can do to be inappropriate, there's some cultures that like touching and don't. And, you know, you step into an elevator and you see people, you know, pre-COVID, how people respond to closeness and proximity, and I, I, that's the other thing I like to train is proxemics. What happens when you close the distance between you and another human being? Mm-hmm. Especially look at you suspiciously, you're fearful. You know, and you oh, got a yeah. uniform. You, you've got some pretty hardcore tack looking guys, and that can be yeah. scary. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, that's, this is not a Disney movie that we're dealing with here. And, you know, people can feel a little unnerved. So you need to understand how your appearance can be unsettling to some cultures more so than others.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. And just to humans, you know, and, and being able to navigate that, you know, it, it's uh, I mean, even for me moving around the world, it's something that I'm hyper aware of is how my appearance can impact people. The reality is. Everyone's safer if I'm there, period. You know, I'm the guy that's going to die to protect all of you if someone walks in here with a gun, right? I'm that guy. But, you know, we're dealing with all of their experiences and their perceptions and their, you know, what show they watched last night that's on the top of their brain. So, you know, Uh, just to get on a little rabbit hole i'm constantly managing that and showing myself friendly in environments showing myself to be a gentleman in environments i know i'm a 245 black guy with tattoos yeah you know what i mean but i'm constantly smiling and and i'm gaining kind of a moral high ground and kind of kind of showing that positive character making eye contact saying hello These are kind of the social dynamics that go along with creating a safer environment for yourself if you have to do something. Um, But also, I think, of a good protector, you know, because you want to help people be here, you know, showing respect. You know, these things are huge ways to create a safer environment.
1: People that don't respect you.
0: Oh yeah, and those are those those are those are the re, those are the the good ones, you know, because
1: we're changing
0: things, man. And right. I, I I really believe I I said this on one of the earlier podcasts, but I'll say it again. I had a road rage incident that almost happened the other day. and I'm driving and I cut some guy off. Maybe I don't even remember. He rolls up next to me in his truck and he's cussing at me and he's getting aggressive and he's like kind of trying to run me off the road. And I, of course I'm sitting here. on me, you know, like a shoot eight hundred rounds of month like i mean like i'm you know i'm training for things all the time right you know i just did a driving package last week and then did a shooting package and here we are you know and i'm i'm looking at this guy and i'm like hey man i'm sorry <laughs> you know and i'm just like i shouldn't have cut you off i'm sorry i apologize let's just try to have a good day you know and, and i just looked at him like hey man you know you got me i'm sorry and it took this and he just i mean you see him going and he's like, and I'm like let's just enjoy. And yeah, I'm like, let's just enjoy the day, man. My bad. I was bad. Good for a fight and you took that out of Yeah, I'm like, just have a good one, yeah. bro. And he's just like, okay, all right. I'm like, boom. And so we we have a great day, you know, and no one had to die and no one had to fight. And no one had to get sued. Bit, right? no one had to, yeah, you know, yeah, no one just nice. had to go and tell a story about getting beat up on the side of the road, you know, boom. And to me, it's like, this is this is the art form you know this is the jedi mind trick of i'm gonna take out the motivation of this this possibly lethal encounter if you have a gun on you every physical altercation is possibly a lethal altercation you don't know what's gonna happen there's so much chance you know um but yeah man that is one of the things i think a lot of people talk about how like ego this and that i kind of look at it more like I look at myself as a master of defusing things. And it's actually <laughs> something that's been with me since I was young, where I'm a master at stopping the fight. Now, if we have to fight, then this is the yeah. other side of the coin. But I really like taking pride in, you know, being able to s- extinguish those flames, you know, yeah. without even You're having- You're a firefighter. To yeah, yeah, I think
1: it's, it's, oh, it's awesome. And yeah. then we enjoy the night, you know? And one of the issues, it's just not a fire that hurts people, kills people. It's smoke damage. Yeah. So we got to be prepared about that heat to put those fires out. And people love generally love firefighters. They take right. no exception to a firefighter being showing up in your neighborhood. And it's just that approach. They revere firefighters. And I think we got to look at that ability to put fires out, even if it's harsh at times. Yeah. And just that ability for you to be able to um, recognize that, that is, that's is—that's why you have so many followers. You're, I call you a humble warrior with respect you are
2: Thank you, sir. Um, you know
1: that's um, that's what you are and you know you, you've got a powerful smile that really desiculates a lot of things and it's not a put-on smile it's not a forced smile Thank and you, that ability you. to smile lightens up a lot of circumstances in and around us Absolutely. and you know years ago I was criticized Steve you gotta learn to smile and I'm thinking I am you know, and I was told also by earlier mentors in my career that you really need to lighten up. You're a strong personality. And, whoa, it's like a 3D movie. And we're not wearing the glasses here. And you really got to pull this back a bit. So I took yeah, that. And still, working, still a, work, a working project. But recognizing that you really do get a lot further with the desire to communicate and emphasize, hey, come on, let's let's resolve this. And that comes integral. With your training, your policies, procedures, and the way we deploy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all go home tonight to the people we care about. Clients are happy. They call you back. That's a good win win. And now it is. And the media exposure that we get just edifies the heck out of you as to what you do and how you do it. And even advocates. um, I don't know if you ever dealt with activism and activists at at shows and conferences. For six, uh, for 10 years, I was uh, security head for the International AIDS Conference. We went all over the world, including Washington, D.C. We went to. uh, Australia, we went to Europe, you know, that's Mexico City. That's Mexico. a heavy topic. So I'm yeah, sure you I mean, guys All the people who were activists. actually living with HIV and fighting for, you know, pharmaceutical companies, you know, we were, and it, first time in Toronto in 2006, we were able to, this is the first event globally that never had violence. Because we're really, really primed security to negotiate and to work with people. And, you know, all the delegates, a lot of them were activists. And you wow. you ever met with a person. It's hard to get people motivated when you pay them, pay them a salary. Imagine putting, doing it for you doing it for nothing, putting yourself out there, even to being exposed to to arrest and screwing. Wow. And, you know, what we were able to create through dialogue is the desire to interact, to go to the next action or the next, you know, sort of demonstration and not be injured, not be in custody and to have a really, really meaningful, fruitful presentation. And that's the secret. To people, not fighting people, and activists are not anarchists. There's a whole difference, that's a different topic for debate. Huge difference. But yes. we are dealing with a lot of people who activism mindsets watching what we do, mm-hmm. and when we look at that, we can manage those responses by how we approach them. Absolutely, that's intelligence, yeah. that's wisdom, definitely. definitely. But I do like your style, you know. And whether you know it or not, you play the smile, it's genuine, yeah, it is genuine. And that really disarms a lot of people. So a man might like see your opposing size. Right. They're not seeing your fist, they're seeing your smile. You see a man's hands lore. Right. when I see that happening, I know I'm winning. And I'm yeah. going home. Soon, you
0: know? And and this is this is another huge rabbit trail, but I at least gotta mention it. You touched it. Being genuine and being able to genuinely access this, this uh compassion or desire to connect and understand or meet someone's need, this is really like the secret sauce. Like this is the magic of the interaction. You've got to right. be genuine. If you're not genuine, if you're too technical, it will have the exact opposite effect. And yep. you will have just almost made it worse. If you're just too technical trying to say the right thing. And it's, right. it's it's like, it's like a clanging, gong like a symbol you know if you're just sitting there and you're just there's no empathy and there's no genuine energy behind what you do um i guess you just have to care about humans on a deep deep level oh. but that, that i mean you 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 when you said that last piece i was like wow that that does mean a lot thank you so much for everything you said because that thank you sir. that uh that's made the difference appreciate that outstanding all right. So that was amazing. We've gone through so much. In, in closing, I'd say, what is it all for? You know, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, Mr. Somerville.
1: Wow, thank you. Self-serving thoughts aside, I'd like to be known for making a difference in this industry to say that the right blend of training, physical physical skills, training, and the right blend of verbal skills is the secret, it's the secret sauce to the success in this industry. And by taking the opportunity and recognizing the need to talk to people, it's just as relevant as what to do when you're facing violence. And I think we can really make a marked improvement in this industry. Cross that to the other side to try to put yourself in their shoes. That's the definition of, of empathy put yourself in their shoes. And we're doing that. We're getting a very, very balanced operative, you know, and we're creating a, a network of professionals, like minded professionals they are not thugs, not criminals. They are, they are like-minded individuals who are out there to make a difference, one day and one handshake at a time.
0: Outstanding, that's huge. All right, well, man, it's an honor to, to have these conversations. We gotta do this again. There's just been, there's so much stuff. Um, that we've spoken about. uh It's an honor. I'm looking forward to everything that you guys come uh bring to the table with EPL Canada. Looking forward to shaking your hand uh and you. seeing you know. Const- we're going to
1: see you <laughs> in Miami.
0: Yeah, Constantine and Mike, you guys will be a. Canada's coming. Canada's <laughs> coming. Yeah, <laughs> to the protector. Maple syrup
1: and the red flag. That's right.
0: Yeah, no, I love maple syrup, so I'm looking forward oh, to that. We'll keep that in mind. Protector Symposium 4.0, hopefully more of you will join us and train with us. Uh, We're gonna be training about, talking about transitional spaces, you know, how to survive around your vehicle. As you're moving, you are gonna be talking about integrated combatives. We're gonna have Lieutenant Colonel Grossman there, talking about the Bulletproof Mindset, Craig Douglas, Mike Pannone, Jared Wahungi, Tony Santmanot, all in one place. I'll be your host, so join us for that. And uh, once again, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve Somerville. It's been an honor. Thank you, sir. Stay safe. All right. Take care. Cheers. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom boom and to support this podcast go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our patreon account that patreon account is what